Good morning, Journey. Again, it is so great to get to be with you. Uh, if you were here last week uh, when Chris was here, uh, he mentioned about some health issues that Carmen and I were walking through, uh, more specifically that she was walking through. And many have asked, and so I don't want to make today about us uh, at all, but I do want to just give people an update on that. Uh, she had some inner ear issues, some acute vertigo. Um, she's been in the process over the last handful of years of going deaf, a genetic thing. And these things are probably not unrelated. Uh, her mom, who also went deaf, had some of these very similar things happen to her uh, before she completely lost her hearing. Uh, so there's, there's a physical side of that, and then there's kind of an emotional side of that as, as Carmen just feels like in, unless God intervenes, and we're continuing to pray that he would, that she's on a process of, of becoming deaf. And so, I, but I just want to say thank you so much for this specific situation. Uh, she's doing great now. She can eat, she can stand up, she can drive, she's doing everything. In fact, she should be here uh, probably at the 11 o'clock unless she's here right now. I don't even, I don't know for sure she might actually be, but she didn't respond to my text. So uh, other, other than that, she's doing, she still doesn't respond to text, but she's, but she's doing just fine with her vertigo. Uh, we're in uh, week number six of this series that we're calling Unlikely Leader, looking at the life of Moses. And we've been looking at the life of Moses through this lens of leadership. And as we step into this today, I want you to think about who is the most difficult person for you to lead. Don't point to somebody next to you. Don't point to your spouse. Don't point to your kids. The most difficult person for you to lead is you. We're gonna talk about that today. You've got to figure out, how do I manage and shepherd my own heart in life? If I'm going to be an influence in the world around me, in my family, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in my school, if any of that's going to happen, God's got to do something in me before he's ever going to be able to do something through me. And we're going to look at kind of an interesting story today that deals with the issue of idolatry from Exodus chapter 32. And it's kind of interesting. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to zoom in and kind of look at this story but then I want us to zoom back out and begin to think about this broad category of idolatry. What is the Bible talking about when it talks about idolatry? I love what the English theologian Oz Guinness said. He says, idolatry is the most discussed problem in the Bible. There can be no believing communities without an unswerving eye to the detection and the destruction of idols. I think he's exactly right. But we don't talk about idolatry enough, but we are going to today. Let's jump into the story from Exodus chapter 32. Let me just set the context for you. God has rescued the people of Israel out of Egypt. These are his covenant people. You are mine. I love you. You belong to me. I'm going to provide salvation for you. I am going to rescue you out of the hands of Egypt. And he does that in the most powerful way possible. And then the people of Israel are like, absolutely, God, we are with you. We are all in. Moses is our guy, and we are with you. All our chips are in the middle of the table, at least for a while. Moses now goes up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he's getting the commandments from God. Commandments from God to describe to the people, how do we navigate this covenant relationship that we have with you? Not how do we get the covenant relationship, we already have that, but how do we navigate that relationship with you, with God, and with each other. Exodus chapter 32, 
starting in verse one. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. Doesn't it sound like they could almost translate this Yahoo Moses? Like, who is he now who brought us here from the land of Egypt? We just got to see what a painfully ironic situation this is. Moses is up there with the God of the universe that just rescued these people, getting the commandments, the first of which says, have no other gods but me. They're down in the valley doing the exact opposite of what it is that God has asked them to do. And what's the reason for their idol making? Why are they saying, Aaron, give us a God? They are frustrated because Moses has been gone too long. Yahoo, Moses. See, Israel, they wanted to get on with their journey. They were all excited about God gonna take them out of Egypt to this land of milk and honey. God, we are on our way. But here's the problem. God did not give them an itinerary. He didn't give them a timeline for how this was all gonna take place. All he told them is, I'm gonna be with you. Trust me, I'm going to be with you. Have you ever been impatient? Impatient with the Lord? Waiting on his time, and sometimes it just seems like, God, where are you? You've been gone way too long. It's like the nation of Israel is so much like us, are they not? I mean, for us, we can just look at this, and it's just like a, a turn of the page for us. We can turn back, turn forward, but for them, it was their life. We have the same spiritual ADD that the nation of Israel had. God, what have you done for me lately? What are you gonna do for me now? Here's what happens. When God seems distant, we grab a hold of anything we can in this life, anything around us to try to bring security to us. When God seems distant, we move on. It reminds me of this humorous story I heard, probably fictitious, but there was an old couple, they were driving in their truck. And it was the old days where it was always just a bench seat. The husband is driving and the wife, old mama, she's on the far side of the truck, as far away from him as she can get. She's got her arms crossed. But then as they're driving along, they drive up behind another pickup with a bench seat with something very, very different happening inside of that cab young couple. He's got one hand on the steering wheel and one hand around his babe. She's practically sitting on his lap. As they drive up behind this truck, they're looking and she's like, look at them. Look at how affectionate they are with one another. They love one another. What happened to us? Why don't we do that anymore? Papa just looked over at her and he said, I don't know. I haven't moved. Thank you. I like that. I like that. Here's what I want us to grab from that. If there's a perceived distance between us and God, 
It's not because he's moved. It's because we've moved. And our response always needs to be not to disengage from God and try to grab something else, but to move back toward him. He hasn't moved. Now Moses, they're frustrated because he's been gone. He's only been gone about 40 days, a little over a month. But it's given them enough time to look back. They're remembering Egypt. Now God took them out of Egypt, but Egypt still remained in them. They were grabbing a hold of the things that they knew, the things that they remembered. Because our hearts, friend, they are made to worship. Our hearts will worship something. They will grab a hold of something. Something that we think will bring peace to our lives. Something that will calm our fears. That will give us a sense of meaning, a sense of identity. Someone, something that will rescue us. Our hearts try to grab a hold of those. But here's the problem. We can grab a hold of things that aren't God. And anytime we do that, it's idolatry. It's grabbing a hold of an idol. We make a counterfeit God just like the nation of Israel did. Here's how it explains what happened. Continuing in verse two. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and the sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. How quickly they forgot. Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, listen to this. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. If you're old enough to remember, think Woodstock. Think free love. This is what was happening. This is what they were doing to worship the God that had rescued them out of Egypt. They decided to go 180 degrees in a different direction from the God who rescued them. God responds up on the mountain with Moses. Verse seven, the Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation." There might be something in your mind that says, man, I'm, I'm glad that I don't have that problem. I, I don't have a calf in my living room that I worship. I'm not about that at all. This has nothing to do with me. Friends, this has everything to do with you and me. Because this story isn't primarily about a calf. This story is primarily about a human heart. 
our human hearts that have this propensity to want to worship something, anything other than God when he seems distant. And we can't ignore this part of the scripture that says, and God's anger burned against them. I think we need to let that rest on us a little bit. Because I think it's easy sometimes for us to think about, you know, I don't like to think about God that way. I don't like to think of him as angry. I like to think of him as just a God of love. He just loves everything. God is a God of love. But friends, you've got to understand the complexity of love. There is a lot of emotions inside the emotion of love. Yes, there is great tenderness in love sometimes. But there is also thunderousness, if that's even a word, in love sometimes. The scriptures say that God is a jealous God. He's jealous for his people. And we don't like that word either sometimes because sometimes we hear that word jealous and what comes to our mind is the selfish kind of jealousy. The jealousy that says, I want what you have. I want to take it from you and I'm bitter and angry that you have it and I don't. That is not the kind of jealousy that describes God. Think about it this way. His jealousy is tied to his love. What is it like in your life when you see somebody that you love, somebody that you care for, that are walking away on a disastrous road headed for destruction? What happens in you? You get angry. You get frustrated. That's what love does. Love doesn't just go, yeah, well, I guess people will be people. Love doesn't just shrug. Love moves and moves with anger. You get mad. Think about what it's like if you're a parent when you watch your children heading down roads that you know are gonna bring destruction to their life. You get crazy. It drives you nuts. Not just angry at them, but angry for them because you want something for them. God is jealous because he wants something for us. He wants our whole heart. One of the most powerful things I read this week from Tim Keller talking about this, this idea that God's love and his jealousy, they move together. They're not separate things. God's love and his anger are together. The opposite of love, Tim Keller says, is not anger, The opposite of love is indifference. God is not indifferent. Just think about that with children sometimes. Have you ever seen those cases where kids, they're neglected, people aren't paying attention to them, and they just act out in bad ways just to try to get the attention, even to have the anger of an adult. They're saying, see me, know me, notice me. Because they would rather have anger than indifference. We want God's attention. And here's what we've got to see, friends. When God talks about idolatry, when he talks about us giving our hearts to things that aren't him, he is not indifferent. He is jealous. He is jealous for us. So friends, with that in mind, understanding what it is that God wants for us and why it is that he wants that for us. We've got to understand 
How do we deal with idolatry in our own lives? There's three questions, at least, that we need to answer today. And the first one is simply this. How do we define idols? What is an idol? Let's just start with the first commandment. God says this, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And that might raise a question in our mind. Well, then, what are other gods? God, what do you mean by other gods? So he gives us the second commandment. He said, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to worship them. Friends, an idol is anything in life that is a God alternative. Anything in our life that we go to, that we worship, to try to provide the things for our life that only God wants to provide for us. It can be anything. Anything that we seek to give, what only God wants to give, can become an idol in our life. Because God wants to provide things for us. He wants to provide joy. He wants to provide security, peace, meaning and significance in this life. He wants to provide salvation. He wants to rescue you. But our hearts can try to find those things outside of God. An idol can be anything. It can be money. It can be sex. It can be a romantic relationship. It can be the approval of the people around us. It can be comfortable circumstances. I just want to have comfort. It can be beauty. It can be brains. It can be success. Friends, it can even be religious practice. It doesn't have to be a physical idol that we bow down to. In fact, most of the time, it is not. Almost all of the time, it's not. Like, nobody is probably going to worry about heading to downtown Bozeman and seeing some kind of a shrine to Aphrodite, They would say, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to kneel down and I'm going to worship her. But friends, we live in a culture where there are men and women that are on the edge of depression and eating disorders because of this idol of beauty and body image that we've embraced, that we have decided we are going to worship as a culture so often. And you're probably not going to worry about burning incense to the Greek god Artemis either. But we do some of the same things that they did then with child sacrifice. When we say success and ambition in this life means more than anything else. And we neglect our children. We neglect our families. We neglect the community of people around us. Because these things have become our God. Ahead of God. I've got to just say this. The thing that makes this so difficult is all those things that I listed that can be potential idols, wouldn't it be great if they were bad things? They were all just bad. All those things that I listed to you, they are good things. But this is how our hearts grab a hold of idolatry. We take things that are good things and we make them the ultimate things. We say, I have to have this. This good thing. I worship this more than I worship God. Because we believe this is the thing that's going to bring me significance. This is the thing that's going to bring comfort and safety to me. Bring me this sense of fulfillment. Going to bring me to a place where I have meaning and identity. If I could just grab a hold of this, a simple thing, a good thing can become a God when we make it the 
ultimate thing in our life. And here's the thing, if we don't recognize this, we will climb and claw and climb the ladder trying to get ourselves to that idol only to find out one day that our ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. Idols can't deliver what they promise. They can't deliver on those things. Only God can. That's why we've got to be so aware of the potential idols in our own life. That's how we define idols. How does it that we discern idols in our own life? How do I know if those are lurking in me? And I'm just gonna put it out there. I'm not suggesting that anyone here doesn't have an idol. Every one of us has idols in our lives. The only question is, do you know what they are? Have you identified them? so that you can move away from them. I'm not asking if you have rival gods, I'm just assuming that we do, but we've got to learn to identify them. In Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods, he just does a fantastic job of unpacking this whole topic. He gives three questions, just places to start, to think about what are things, good things, that maybe have become ultimate things in my life. How do I begin to discern idols? And the first question is simply, What do I daydream about? When I've got time and I've got nothing to do, what is it that I just sit and think about? What captures my attention? Now, now I'm not trying to suggest that anything that we think about that's not God is an idol in our life, but we've got to pay attention to that. Is there something that in an inordinate way has captured my attention? And that when I think about that, I think that is the ultimate source of comfort and joy and meaning and significance in my life. What is it that I daydream about? What is it that I talk to other people about? What are the things that just naturally bubble up in conversation? Pay attention to that. They can be good things that we allow to become ultimate things. They can become idols. Second thing, a second question that I think is a little bit more simple because it's a little bit more tangible is money. Where does our money flow effortlessly? Where do we spend? The way that Jesus says it, he says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. He said, you want to know what your heart is captured by? Just see where your money goes. Pay attention to that. Those things are intimately linked. Where does our money go? Are there places in our life that we've just really got to work against bad patterns of spending. I just want to spend too much in that area. We've got to pay attention. That, friends, could be an idol. We've got to pay attention. Thirdly, ask the question about our emotions. What do our emotions reveal to us about what potential idols in our life could be? And not just any emotion, those deepest, intense, painful emotions. What can those tell us? Is there anger in our life? Anger that we just can't seem to get our hands around because there's some goal in life that's being blocked, something that I want that I believe that I have to have. That, friends, could be an idol. Is there fear? Is there despair? Is there guilt? Because I think that there's something that might be taken away from me. And if this was gone, life would not be worth living. Is there fear 
that is driving potential idols in our life? Are we overworking, just driving ourselves out of an angst like I've got to get somewhere? I've got to get to this level, this status. Friends, those kinds of emotions are the kinds of things we need to look at. Where are our idols? Those questions will help us surface those. It's always challenging to be a communicator about these things because you can't just read this and reflect on it without the Holy Spirit of God doing deep work in your own life. On Monday, I just had this sense of anxiety, like, like far beyond just like normal anxiety. Like I, I don't know what a panic attack feels like, but I wondered if this was it. It was just kind of overwhelming. It just sensed like it's getting kind of hard to breathe. Like I just felt like something was on my chest. And so I'm just trying to talk to the Lord about that. Lord, what is going on? What is this emotion about? And there were so many things that were swirling in my life at that time. I thought it could be a number of these things, things with Carmen, things with friends, and all, all these things that were going on. But I began to ask myself, and the Lord put his finger on it. By the end of Monday, normally I love to have a really clear path for my message on the weekend. I didn't have it. I didn't know exactly how this message was gonna even unfold. And it started to make me anxious and I didn't know why. But as I started to process that with the Lord, I realized I had made an idol out of your approval. Now, I, I wanna say this. Getting up here on this stage, it matters. I take it very, very seriously. When I'm up here, I wanna say things that are true. I wanna say things that are clear. I wanna say things that are helpful. And I know how this goes. There is a valuation that takes place all the time on the things that happen from this stage. But I also know this. There are things that I can say from this stage that will cause some of you to disapprove that I think God is doing this. But I also think there's things that I can say from a stage that maybe cause people to applaud, but God might shake his head. I wanted your approval I was more scared of your approval than I was of God's. I had an idol in my life. And friends, as I pro that was just the first one that God revealed to me. But I just realized I've got to discern what are these things? Good things. Your approval, it matters. I care about you. I want to do a good job as your pastor. But your approval can't be the ultimate thing that defines my meaning, that defines my significance as a person. Because your approval, it comes and goes but God's doesn't. He is the only one that is worthy of my worship. His approval and his alone, I had to identify that idol because I could just try to climb. Just do the things that I think would cause your approval and miss what it is that God wanted to do in me and through me. And I don't think I'm alone. I think every one of us needs to do that same kind of heart work where we're asking God those questions God, what is it? What are the things in me that I am worshiping? Good things that I have made ultimate things that are keeping me from experiencing you in the ways that you would want me to experience you. And lastly, a third question that we've got to ask is how do we dispose of idols? If we discern what they are in our life, how do we dispose of them? If we say, this is an idol, how do we take that and remove it? Friends, here's what we need to do. It's not just about removing it. 
We've got to remove it, but we also have to replace it. We've got to replace it with something else. And we need to remember, this is what we need to replace it with. We need to remember that God is our mediator. If you read this story in Exodus 32, you're gonna see that Moses became a mediator for the people. He stood between this God that was jealous and this people that were disobedient. And he said, no, God, don't kill them. Don't kill them. He stood between them. Friends, we are just as stiff-necked and rebellious as the nation of Israel, and we have a mediator too. And it's God himself. Just like Moses was advocating for the people of Israel, we have an advocate that pleads our case before the Father. And it's God himself. It's Jesus. You've got to hear this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, and we all do, and we all sin with idolatry, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. You've got an advocate. You've got an advocate that stands in your defense. That's what we need to replace idols with. We've got to see that so clearly. That is what our heart needs to be captured by. That we wouldn't make good things ultimate things, but that's what we would make the ultimate thing in our life, what Jesus has done for us. I love how Paul describes what needs to happen in our heart if we were going to replace idols in Colossians chapter 3. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. He said, don't think about those good things that you're making ultimate things, those idols. Think about Christ in heaven for you, your advocate. Think about things in heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. If we're ever gonna have a hope of replacing idols in our life, this has to become the ultimate truth in our life. What our heart is captured by, the things that we think about, the things that we are grateful for when we pray to God, we've got to remember those things because it's only when Jesus and what he did for us becomes more beautiful and more attractive than the things of this earth. Will we ever shed those and let our hearts grab a hold of him and only him? We need to uproot idols in our life. And this is why when we get together, we sing about what Jesus did for us on the cross. We preach about what Jesus did for us on the cross. We talk about it with one another. We celebrate communion regularly to remind us what it is that Jesus did for us. 
We talk about it and remind ourselves because it's the thing that needs to be foremost in our mind. If we ever stop talking about that around this church, please find another church. We've got to talk about this. We've got to hold that up. And I don't know if this is gonna be encouraging or discouraging. You don't have just one idol in your life. We've got lots of them. Discerning idols and disposing of idols. It's not a one and done thing. This is a process that we're gonna do our whole life because we are continually wanting to take good things and make them ultimate things. But can we start today with just one? God, what's the thing right now? What is the thing that is foremost in my heart that is not you? Our next step is to learn to discern what that is and dispose of it. And I wanna give you an opportunity to do that right now. I wanna ask you just to take some time to go to prayer. And I want you to ask some of those questions. God, can you reveal to me what are the things that capture my attention when I've got nothing else to think about? God, what are the things, where are the places where my money just effortlessly flows? What are the emotions, those deep, intense, maybe even painful emotions, what are those pointing to in terms of maybe even good things that I've made ultimate things? I wanna give you an opportunity to just reflect, allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your life on those things. Find at least one idol in your heart. God, I just want to say thank you. And this might just seem counterintuitive. It seems counterintuitive to my heart right now, but I just feel like I need to thank you for your anger. God, thank you that you're not indifferent when my heart is captured by things that aren't you. You want me. You want me more than anything else. God, thank you for your anger. And God, I know that I've got deep work to do. I believe that my friends here, we've all got deep work to do. But God, we wanna do it, not just for our sake, but for yours. God, you are worthy of our worship. I just want to declare with everything in me, God, that there is nothing in this world that compares to you. I want you. I want you. I want you. Jesus, thank you for being our advocate. We hold you up high and we say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. Our life is hidden with you and we say thank you. And it's in your powerful and resurrected name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.